We're still on our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, and what we want to look at this morning is a very pivotal chapter in the book. It's part of when Christ makes a navigational geographical shift in his journeys. As you know, he was an itinerant preacher, Jesus. And in chapter 19, he starts heading south. The early part of his uh, phases of his ministry were almost all in the north in Galilee. And then he starts heading south. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And it begins with him making that journey and a large crowd following along with him. And then what happens when he gets to down south to a place that Matthew calls Judea beyond the Jordan. Uh, it's across the Jordan River. And then he gets into three very vital pastoral issues about marriage and divorce, about caring for children, and about will we follow him, whatever it will cost us, the story of the the rich man. So it's all about following. It's all about following. Are we following? I want to suggest that's the essence of Matthew chapter 19. Are we following? Let's take our time and read the entire chapter. I'll read it from the screen. You can just follow along and listen. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, that's referring to chapter 18, uh, he was already in teaching mode. He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. That's a long trek, as we will see in a moment. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Pays to follow Jesus. You can get healed. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him. So the crowds want more of Christ. The Pharisees are out to get him and see if they can trick him into saying something that contradicts Moses. They came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. You can tell right there what he thinks of divorce, okay? Holding fast. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to, div- to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, that is from the beginning of creation in Genesis, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, Christ does make an exception on that situation, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man and his wife, it's better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been made from birth, made so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray, and the disciples rebuked the people. But Jesus said, 
Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. He laid his hands on them. That's a significant moment there. We'll return to that. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Well, which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall, not, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, the word there can also be translated complete, but it's a little bit of a different spin on it. If you would be complete, go. Sell what you possess. Give the proceeds to the poor is what's implied there. You will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Follow me. This whole thing of following him is the key to this chapter. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit also on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, it's all about him, see, it's all about him, following him, leaving something, but for a reason, his name's sake, it's all about following Christ will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first now will be last, and the last now will be first. Matthew leads off this chapter by saying that Jesus left Galilee, and then he went to what he calls Judea beyond the Jordan, and large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. This is a pivotal part, a very important part of the chapter. I would even see it as the window through which Matthew would have a study the entire chapter. In the book of Matthew, and really in the all four Gospels, the crowds, that little phrase comes up not infrequently, the crowds are often seen in a negative light, <laughs> not least when they shout out, crucify him, crucify him. You know, give us Barabbas, let Barabbas go. But that Jesus, just send him to the cross. And that's the crowds doing that. 
So assuredly, the crowds are often seen in a very negative light, but not always. The crowds hail Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem, hail to the Son of David. Here, again, they're seen in a positive light. The crowds followed him from the north to the south. We have a map here. Have a look at this. Galilee, of course, is in the north, the blue circle. Uh, Judea, beyond the Jordan, is in the southern part of the province of Perea, if we can all sort of see that. From the, the, the blue circle to the red, that's something on the, the scale of about 80 miles. This is like we get us getting up this morning and walking west to somewhat beyond Portage La Prairie. This is a long distance. And Matthew is portraying the crowds walking with him that long of a distance. The point is here, they recognize his authority. They want more of him. You don't walk 80 miles on a whim or for some trivial trifle matter. They want more of him. And Matthew sets the crowds. It's no doubt a ragtag group of people. Maybe some of them didn't stick with Jesus for a lifelong commitment. Okay, people are people. But the moment, the movement that's going on here is something wholly positive. Matthew is like saying, I want you to pause briefly at that snapshot, this large crowd making a large distance to follow Jesus. They want more of him. They're a model for us because they follow Jesus wherever he goes. Once Jesus gets to Perea or Judea beyond the Jordan, he goes into three more places. And I don't mean now geographical places. He goes into three distinct pastoral places, human need strife places. He goes into the issue of us being true to our marriage covenants. That's the place. What about that? Well, we follow him into that one. He goes into the issue of valuing young children. That's a place. He goes into it, will we follow him? He goes into the place of the call of the gospel, the call of the kingdom, the call of Christ, deserving that it deserves to take precedence over everything else, including our financial resources. Will we follow him into that place? Let's look at the first of these. In our marriage covenants, are we following Jesus? The Pharisees come up, they want to engage him in a, they deliberately want to engage him in a controversial issue. Is it ever legitimate to divorce your wife in the first century? We still have some of the writings of rabbis that were writing roughly in the same, the same time Jesus lived. And there were opinions all over the map of whether or not divorce was ever valid. Maybe it was valid in certain cases and so forth. And it was one of these topics that people almost liked to argue about. And the Pharisees want to bring Jesus into one of these controversial issues. He says the only time it's ever proper or allowable in God's eyes is when there's been uh, sexual immorality involved. And even then, he doesn't say you have to end the marriage there, but he says there will be cases. This is how Jesus seems to say it, we think. This is the position of the elders of Gateway. In that kind of a case, it can be legitimate 
to end the, the relationship. It doesn't have to be, but it can be. And if that is allowable, then we take the view, this, Jesus seems to take the view that remarriage as well is allowable. If that's something that's going on for you or you're questioning this, come and talk to us. It's a, a sensitive topic and we're looking to the Holy Spirit to help us handle some of those tough real life issues with his help. For, so they are asking, is it ever valid for any reason? He gives his one and only reason when the marriage has been broken down by sexual immorality. However, none of those concerns I want to submit to you are what Jesus is real or Matthew are really after in this passage. It's something even elevated above that, the debates on divorce. It's something else. It's this. The crowds, if I could have the next slide. The crowds follow Jesus by trekking, by hiking, by walking. Don't forget, on that map, it comes out something on the order of 80 miles. That's how they followed. How do we follow? Well, here's a very real-life, nitty-gritty example. We follow not by going on an 80-mile walk. We follow by learning to make our marriage covenants work. He's saying, the fellow in the picture, that's the third time you've burned the stew. And she's saying, well, why don't you jolly well cook it next time? You'll find out. Well, if they, and it's, there's nothing wrong with some sharp, frank back and forth in a marriage. That's a good and healthy thing. When we do it, trusting God to bring us through it, relying on the Holy Spirit, trying to be sensitive to one another, that's all part of learning to make our marriage covenant work. And that's part of how we follow. Think of the two pictures that we have up there. Top left, that's one kind of following. Literal physical walking over a large geographical distance. Bottom right image is another just as valid, just as real form of following. In all of our imperfections, in all of our hang-ups, learning to make it work. What are these two doing that are having a bit of an orgy-bargy there? They're working through something. You know what it looks like? Here's three little helpful points. Jot them down. This is not the main point, but it's helpful. Believe the best about each other. Always. Learn. Believe the best about each other. Second, learn give and take. If a husband doesn't know how to do give and take, you're going to have trouble. Or the same for a wife. Learn give and take. Third, don't put your hope in your spouse changing. Put your hope in Christ not changing. Now chew on that a moment. Don't put your hope in your spouse changing because it may not happen. We trust that it will if they really, really genuinely need to. But don't put your hope in that. Put your hope in Christ and in Him not changing because He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Put your hope in Christ not changing. The issue here is, will we follow him? The two pictures, we have them together on the screen, 
deliberately, because I think Matthew puts them together deliberately, the ragtag crowd bumbling along mile after mile. I've been listening to him for several days and my feet are sore and my sandal strap just broke, but I am not going to stop following. I want more of this man, Jesus. I want more of him. I need more of him. And I'm staying with him. The people in the other picture are doing the same thing. That is, they're following Christ. Are we doing that? That's our question this morning to grapple with. Am I following Jesus? That's what it all is about. That's the first place he goes after he gets to Judea beyond the Jordan. Is to the pastoral place of learning to make marriage work. Honoring our marriage covenants. Then there's a gear shift, and he goes into a different kind of issue. It has to do with family, but it's not about marriage per se. It's about valuing young children. People would bring, were bringing their young children to Jesus, asking if he would lay his hands on them and pray for them. Many of you know about the school that we did some years ago here at Gateway. It was called King's Commission. And one feature of it was that each year we took the students away on a mission trip somewhere. And I think it was eight times Velma and I took teams over to India. And thousands of memories kind of still linger in our minds about that. For me, the most precious part of those trips, we, went, we would go for an entire month. And it was going out into these isolated mountain villages um, and traveling around, banging around in the back of a beat-up old Jeep and getting out of the, the Jeep, take out our guitars and play a few songs to gather a crowd and then share the gospel and then pray for people. And something just would happen in the village, word of mouth or whatever, but it was like a te- spiritual telegraph Mothers and sometimes fathers would come out of their little huts, banana leaf roof huts, and they would be carrying little children and come up to us like this, and they wanted us to lay our Christian hands on these Hindu heads and pray for them. They knew there was something in us laying our hands on them and praying over them, and they would stand in line waiting their turn to get their kids prayed for. It was so precious. I don't think I'll ever forget that. We taught the kids to um, say to the parents, we had interpreters usually, and say, find out what the child's name is, and then you pray for him in Jesus' name, by name, by the kid's name. It was a precious moment. Now, there was moms and dads 2,000 years ago in Judea beyond the Jordan doing this, and the disciples get in the way and say, no, 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 he's too important to bother with your little kids. He's famous. He's Jesus. Jesus hears the disciples telling the parents this, and he rebukes them. He says, no, no, let them come, because God's kingdom belongs to people like this. Uncomplicated, trusting, adventurous kids that they they want more in life. They like adventure. They have imagination. They run around the village because they're full of life. That's the kind of people God gives his kingdom to. Let them come. Then he lays his hands on them. You know where that comes from? the laying on of hands it's part of church doctrine in in Hebrews chapter 6 it originates in Leviticus that big long book of all the laws Moses gives Israel Leviticus chapter 8 verse 10 because the laying on of hands was how was part of how Israel ordained priests 
And the, it was the people themselves were part of the ceremony where they would lay hands on these guys being commissioned as priests. And it had come down through many centuries, 14 centuries, from Moses to Jesus, give or take. And this idea of laying on of hands to impart something, the power of God, the, 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 the electing purpose of God, the presence of God in someone's life, his affirmation, his call, his commissioning, his anointing, laying on of hands is taught with all these things. This is what's so bizarre. What Moses said to Israel to do to commission new priests, Jesus is doing for little kids. Do you see this? This is not a small thing. Next picture. I love that shot. I grew up without a dad. And in the environment, in our extended family, I think it's fair to say I... I never felt taken seriously as a young child. And I look at uh, the photo there of the dad with his arm on the little boy's shoulder. I found that last night on Google Images, the source of all good things. And all good and some not. But I almost started to cry when I saw that. That's a precious image. The dad there is taking the boy seriously. Whatever's going on, maybe he's been bad, maybe he's afraid about something, maybe he's been hurt, whatever's going on, he's giving some comfort. He's taking what the kid has said seriously. Dads, can we be sure we do that with our sons and with our daughters, moms, all of us together? Listen to our kids. Take them seriously. Lay your hands on them and pray for them. They may turn into Levites. Let's see what God does with it. Laying on of hands. The crowds follow Jesus. Once again, this pairing of images. Don't let this get away from us here. The crowds followed Jesus by walking 80 miles, something like that. We follow Jesus by valuing young children. The people in the upper left image on your screen are doing, and the, and the man in the lower right picture, the two images, Upper left, lower right are doing the same thing. They're following Christ. Are we following? Are we following? Take time to be with a kid. Listen to him. Listen to her. Pray with him. Teach them how to pray. It's, how, it's part of how we follow Jesus. Well, then Jesus goes to a third place about valuing God, valuing Christ, valuing the kingdom over everything else. The man comes, the rich man, comes to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, obey the commandments. Well, I have, but which ones are you talking about? Jesus rhymes off half a dozen or so. Well, I've done all those. So then Jesus ups the ante a bit and he says, okay, if you want to be complete is the word he uses, then sell your possessions, which were many, it would have raised in a, probably a, a very large sum of money. Take that money you raise, give it to the poor, and you just come and join my band of followers. So he's asking this rich guy that dressed in very nice robes and everything to join the ragtag bunch that had come all the way down from Country Hick Place up in the north of Galilee. He's asking the man to do that. Come and follow me. And for whatever reasons, perhaps greed, plain old-fashioned greed got in, got in here, 
the man backs off. All of a sudden, he's not sure how badly he wants to be complete in the sense that Jesus is using that term. He doesn't want to let go. And now this is the issue that we all need to grapple with. Do I really hold Christ first and foremost above all things? Now, this morning, you'll be glad to know we have gone to great trouble and expense to bring in a professional actor to help us with something up on the stage. Peter Todd. Now, I want you to pray for Peter. We're doing something that's a bit nerve-wracking. It has to do with a laptop. And with some cardboard boxes. This man, for some reason, Brother Peter, he's very enamored with cardboard boxes. He has a thing about cardboard boxes. Now, along comes someone else that says, Peter, it's all fine being enamored with cardboard boxes, but I want to give you something better, a new laptop. But you only get it if you catch it in midair. Now, I think you see where we're going because if he's going to lay hold of the laptop, he has to make a decision about his boxes. Are you with me? He's very nervous he's going to let this thing crash to the floor and I'm going to be out some cash, but we'll see how we get on. Okay, Peter, on, I'll say one, two, three, throw. When you hear me say throw, you've got to catch this thing, okay? If you want to quietly pray in your prayer language, that would be a good moment, okay? Ready? One, two, three, throw. Thank you, Peter. Blessing on your head. The rich man let the laptop land on the ground. The opportunity to give his life to Christ. Who knows what God would have done through that man? It's a tragic moment, isn't it? You know, he went away sorrowful. The offer Christ made, come, follow me. The man let that offer, that invitation, that call, fall to the ground. Peter let the boxes fall to the ground. Bless him. This morning, we're thinking about following Jesus. For the crowds... Following Christ meant going on an actual physical walk. Mile after mile. It must have been multiple days that we don't know where. They slept at night, getting food at a nearby village. How did that all work? A, a big crowd over a big distance. For them in that moment, for those people, that's what it meant to follow Jesus. For people he was talking to then, it meant, it came, and for us today, it comes to mean something beyond that. 
It means learning and working at making our marriage covenants work. It means valuing young children, putting the same kind of value on them that God does. Christ ministers to them the way they minister, ministered to the Levites, with the people they were commissioning to be priests in the Old Covenant. That's how seriously he took them. And then for this rich man, the issue came down to what am, how do I arrange my priorities? What do I value? Do I value Christ? Am I going to be like this crowd that has followed him 80 miles? Or am I going to hold on to something else? And we see the outcome, not a happy one. Peter, in our clever little illustration, knew what he wanted more. He wanted the laptop more than he wanted the cardboard boxes. Letting the boxes go is part of following Jesus. I'm going to turn it back to Peter in a moment. But I want us to look at these questions. Once again, that image. See yourself there. Let's ask ourselves these questions and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. We're going to take a literal minute, quietly, and let the Holy Spirit speak to us. What do I need to do to join that crowd? Am I following Jesus by learning to work at my marriage? Am I following Jesus by valuing, by valuing young children? And perhaps the most important, because this is the what's underneath on all of them, what are my boxes? What are my boxes? Okay, let's take a moment. Just ask the Holy Spirit to come and tap you on the shoulder about any of those issues. We'll take one minute. Lord, what are my boxes? What's it going to look like to value you over all of it, all of them, to lay hold of your promises?